Live from the NyxCast Phantopological Institute, today we're talking about Harry Potter fans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Phantopological, the show where we take a fandom each week and put it under the microscope and try to see things from the fan's eye view. Today, we're talking about Harry Potter fans, and here with me to do that are my best friends, T. I'm a wizard. And Z. I'm a lizard. You're you're a lizard, Harry? Yep. And I'm a gizzard. Good night. (laughs) <laughs> great show folks great show folks so i believe by the time this episode airs fantastic beasts and where to find them will actually be out in theaters in north america should be coming out today yeah should be coming out today uh we thought it'd make sense to kind of talk about the fans of the much beloved book series uh so a um, quick little overview in case i don't like to be be rude but like in case you've been living under a rock i don't know in case you didn't know what harry potter was as we found out in our research, everyone knows. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Harry Potter, the seven-book series written by J.K. Rowling, tells the story of Harry Potter, a young orphan marked by fate to fight the evil wizard Lord Voldemort. The original books were published from 1997 to 2007, and the films from 2001 to 2011. Uh, I believe there's also a play, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which came out, I don't know, 2015 or something? My research didn't... I didn't uh, write like, it down. Like... A few months ago. It was just debuting when I was in England in June. Wow. Okay, well, stroke that out. Yep. (laughs) Now, did anyone do a sorting hat quiz? Oh, Oh, man. man. I haven't done one since I signed up for Pottermore, the online Harry Potter experience. I wound up in Ravenclaw. Oh, I knew it. Mm. I figured we'd all be in Ravenclaw. (laughs) Is this the kind of thing that I can do while we're chatting? You can. Is it? Okay. Is it? There's like, is there an official one? Nope. Well, there's Pottermore, but you have to sign up for Pottermore first. Oh, that's not happening. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm going to delegate, and I'm totally not going to go do that. What, did, uh, what interesting things did the two of you find regarding Harry Potter fandom? Oh. Oh, so many things. Yeah. Any of you come, come across the Hogwarts headache? No. I did not. Jeez. This is uh, diagnosed by a doctor uh, okay. dur- during that 10-year period when the books were coming out as a mild condition, a tension headache possibly accompanied by neck or wrist pains caused by unhealthily long reading sessions of Harry Potter. <laughs> is, is this kind of like Blackberry Thumb? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it. Which no, no longer a problem, no, I'm yeah, sure. I was about to say. <laughs> um. The doctor prescribed taking breaks, to which the patient said no. Ah. So that's what a Hogwarts headache is. It's published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, wow. Wow. That reminds me of that scene in uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, where there's the, uh, like, when everybody's in the thrall of Wonka mania, because those golden tickets are out there, and that, uh, that one guy is at his psychiatrist's, and he's telling him about this dream about hidden Wonka bars and the psychiatrist just throws down his pad and is like, where are the Wonka bars? <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. That's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mania. What'd you find, Z? Um, I found a lot of stuff about uh, how there are theories and ideas that Harry Potter shaped the political opinions of millennials. Whoa. Yeah. How so? Well, the uh, the predominant idea... Snape 2016. <laughs> the uh, predominant idea put forth by poli-sci professor Anthony Gierzynski is that because the books were coming out when millennials were in their sort of most influenceable impressionable period roughly from the ages of 10 to 15 they were reading these harry potter books identifying with the characters um, learning lessons along with the characters 
And because of that, his idea is that all of the political ideas in these books, um, tolerance, anti-violence, anti-torture, um, equality, all of those, all of those high ideals became part of the millennial political mindset. Shaper of young minds. Yeah. Young minds of our generation. Yeah. And he backs that up with a lot of reference to research into how people read and process what they read, which basically comes down to the fact that, well, the idea that because we don't read fiction rationally, we read it more emotionally. Uh-huh. Its effect isn't necessarily rational. It's a little bit more on the emotional side. Interesting. Yeah. And apparently yeah. we read it in frenzies. <laughs> yes. At least, what, at least in terms of Harry Potter. Yeah. People buying the book and then just staying up all night until they finish it. Yeah. Um, so I came across a fun little tidbit. Uh, oh, yeah? mo- mostly in in relation to to uh, to another particular fandom, there was a three year gap between books four and five. Yeah, uh, that's when they started to get huge. Yep, hm. I think book five is the longest. Um, <laughs> which Harry Potter fans refer as refer to as the three year summer. <laughs> as a Game of Thrones fan, I say ha. <laughs> 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 We're in the long winter right yeah. now. All right, all right, folks. I, I did it. Oh, all right. I took some quiz on the internet and got myself sorted. Okay. Uh, it it's Ravenclaw. Yeah. With a very close second from Gryffindor. Ooh. I took two. And got Ravenclaw and then Gryffindor. Oh man, that's not too surprising, I guess. No. Uh, we're gonna do a little quiz question. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We, in a previous podcast, not Phanthropological and the, the self-titled The Next Cast, we talked about fake, not fake, um, fan-based sports. Yes. And we learned that, un, I guess, somewhat unsurprisingly, Quidditch, a sport played in Harry Potter, is a real sport across the world. Mm-hmm. How many teams do you think there are in the U.S.? Price is right rules, closest without going over. Okay. I'm going to say 32. All right. Um, I mean, I could say 33 and presumably <laughs> win. <laughs> but I'm going to try and come up with a more accurate guess. Okay. I will say 1,000. Okay. So according to the article that I read on Boing Boing, How Harry Potter Shaped a Generation... There are over 150 teams that regularly wow. play against one another in the official U.S. Quidditch League. Unpacking that for a little bit, that means that one, Quidditch is a sport. Two, there is an official Quidditch <laughs> League, which means there are unofficial Quidditch Leagues. <laughs> and three, Quidditch. there's over 150 teams. That's just in the official league now. Yeah. And that's just in the U.S., <laughs> also another little little one that i did not know because i am not uh i don't know i'm assuming both of you have read harry potter yeah i have read every book and seen every movie okay yep. i have done neither of those things all right i've seen three of the movies i'm usually gonna be the odd man out in this situation <laughs> found out that slytherwin is a, a fan term for a cunning success Slytherwin. Slytherwin. <laughs> that is also from the same article. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> it it hurts. hurts so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Did any of you come across Snapeism? No. I my, I maybe saw it as a word, but I certainly didn't look into it. Is this like a TV tropes thing? I, I don't know how to tell whether it would be one of those. Okay, go for it. It is a religion. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. The Snapists exist within a context of canon skepticism. The belief that Rowling is a flawed interpreter of the Harry Potter universe who misrepresents the objective reality of certain characters and plot developments. The Snapists believe that Rowling has misinterpreted Snape and disrespected him as a character. They also feel that Snape can contact them and provide them with help and guidance in life. Oh, man. Neat. 
Yeah, I, there's actually um, I actually found an academic article on Snapeism. Yeah. That argues well, well, it may be um, an extreme part of fandom. Religions of this nature are not uncommon, unreasonable, or unprecedented. Popular films are a mechanism for communal bonding, individual identity building, and often contain their own metaphysical discourses. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool article. I will put it in the show notes. Yeah. It talks about, you know, religion via stories or media that we consume is not not as ridiculous. Did uh, did, did you see this? Do you hear about this? Did either <laughs> of you did either of you hear about the Potter It Forward campaign? No. Oh. No, wow. I, I mean, I guess Harry <laughs> Potter is a huge body of, there's, of there's fans. There's so much. It is okay. an enormous elephant. We are all blind men <laughs> touching different parts saying it's this, it's this, it's this. Oh, actually, okay. I actually know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I can picture the comic in my head of that, that, that thing. It's like, it's a, you know, it, it, whatever. We'll like figure something. <laughs> the Potter Forward campaign uh, was started by MuggleNet, which through my research, I found that it uh, was one of the first Harry Potter fan sites opening in October of 1999, so just two wow. years after the book series had started. What happens is Harry Potter fans will leave notes in the books to future fans about how much the stories mean to them and uh, take pictures of it and throw it up on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. Was there any mention of them like forwarding the copy their copy of the book to another fan or is it just communicated through these pictures well i think the idea is so what they are is they're sticky notes that are inside the book so i'm assuming they're at libraries or at bookstores or just anywhere where somebody else might you know receive the book yeah yeah i mean they're also sharing it on social media but yep there's a there's more of a personal element when you open up a book and get a a note addressed to you Mm mm-hmm Nobody puts spoilers in there. Yeah. That would Note, be... jump ahead to page 635. <laughs> it's really good. Trust me. I mean, if you fall for that, then it's kind of your own fault. <laughs> boy, boy, well, time for me to uh, Accio Trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, hold on, hold on. No judgment. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, we can't judge Z. I'll just. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's an option. All right. Let's. This, this changes everything. <laughs> Did either of you come across the location of the real life grave of Harry Potter? There's a real grave for Harry Potter. He did. Yep. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, definitely I did not. I'm assuming you got this from Atlas Obscura? No, actually, I didn't. Okay. It is in, of all places, the town of Ramla in Israel. What? Yes. I would not have expected that whatsoever. It's there because there was a private in the British military stationed there in 1939 who happened to die in an ambush and his name harry potter oh wait 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 wait. okay i'm sure this is not the only dude named harry potter who has died (laughs) apparently it is it's the only official one what's official well the the the, uh, tourism board of rambla has made it an official attraction a tourist attraction for the area i don't know if it's been sanctioned by uh by jk rowling or warner brothers or any of the rights holders but within the realm of being able to put it in their their tourism pamphlet ramla has it on the books i feel like one in the uk would be more successful (laughs) yeah or you know in the at the theme park or whatever just one of those things it is in the british military cemetery i mean it's like an embassy, right? It's it's British outside. It's British soil outside of Britain, surely. Uh, maybe. It's also a cemetery. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're looking for a grave, you got to look at. I, the mean, cemetery. I mean, I mean, I guess. To to be fair, I have heard good things about cemetery tours in the UK from some friends that have been there. 
There's an obnoxious amount of history. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's really fascinating. Mm. Did either of you come across... Uh, I'm going to be deliberately a bit vague because I want to have a big reveal at the end of the episode, so... I'm excited. Ooh. There was an organization okay. that managed to convince Warner Brothers Entertainment to uh, to make change to Harry Potter merchandise. Ooh. Either of you hear about that? Nope. Uh, nope. Okay, so there was a campaign by some organization that managed to convince the Warner Brothers to ensure that all Harry Potter chocolate would be UTZ certified, which is a sustainable farming initiative, Mm. or fair trade certified by the end of 2015, which is an effort that took them four years of effort. Uh, And the reason that they did that is because, I'm assuming, um, in the article it was cited to stop child slavery, and that is probably because the farms are operated by children oh wow so good job you guys whoever you are you folks new mysterious heroes yeah shadowy mysterious organizations are always good all right what what else have you got come on there's so much trivia there guys i can throw down a admittedly somewhat unrelated bit of trivia in the form of a, a quiz question for you here all right um along with uh Anthony Gierzynski's studies of Harry Potter and its effect on the political mindset of millennials. He's done a few other studies into uh, into the media and their potential effects on people's views of the world. And um, one of these studies involves a certain, well, two shows that lead people to see the world as less of a just place, less of a fair place to live. Can either of you name one of these two TV shows? So TV shows that lead people to believe that the world is not a just place. Yes. Game of Thrones. Okay, T. Hmm. Well, it's probably got to be something of some historical significance. And Game of Thrones is pretty recent. Unjust world... So Spider-Man was done by Tobey Maguire, <laughs> and Sam Raimi was in, I don't know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. No, it is indeed G- with G on this one, uh, Game of Thrones, and House of Cards. Oh, that would have been a good guess. House of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Cards. I'm waiting for the Doctor Who episode so I can just like get wrong on the quiz and then go back in time and (laughs) you know what i I guess we could do that this episode if i had a time turner that's true Ooh, that's true yeah yeah none of my trivia has anything to do with the time turner by the way yes just a heads up the same mysterious foundation that i described earlier motivated potter fans to send five cargo planes with over $100,000 worth of relief supplies to Haiti after their 2010 earthquake, and also to donate 88,000 books around the world to raise awareness of net neutrality. And that organization also took on uh, the state of Maine in the United States, their 2009 ballot to repeal same-sex marriage. Whoa! It has a $175,000 annual operating budget 90 chapters around the world, and more than 100,000 active members with even more volunteers. Wowzers. Man, people can't stop talking about this mysterious organization. Yep. I know, right? Millennials want to know who this mysterious organization <laughs> is. <laughs> Three amazing facts about this mysterious <laughs> organization. Doctors hate them. <laughs> Uh, yes all of those things I found one other piece of standalone info that's pretty pretty interesting and it is that now you know forget about Phoenix University forget about Trump University (laughs) if you want to learn online there's only one place you gotta go that place is hogwartsishere.com what can I find there? There you can find courses on potions, defense against the dark arts, plant life, 
biology. Herbology? The different... Is there anything for it? Biology? Sure, why not? All these courses. <laughs> all these courses from the world of Hogwarts, as well as social networking opportunities and forums and in real life fan meetups all at hogwarts is here.com i have an additional question about hogwarts is here.com go for it who is the defense against the dark arts teacher <laughs> um <laughs> you i am horribly un- unqualified <laughs> Will they send you a letter if you enroll? Yes. <gasps> All right. That'd be pretty awesome. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> all right. This is the part of the show where we dive into discussion based on the research that we did. We try to come up with two or three topics that are relevant to the fandom, but about the fandom and not about the object of discussion mostly because you know you want to you want to hear about harry potter as a as a literary work or something you can go there are many podcasts for yeah that. it is websites. inevitable that we will talk about harry potter to some degree but it's always about trying to talk about the fans one of the topics that we decided on before the show this week was having the fandom grow up with the work and the work growing up with the fans growing together in unison and one of the things that struck me when we were looking for stuff on, on this particular topic, one of the things that struck me that was probably one of the reasons for it was how appreciative and interactive J.K. Rowling was with the fans, like from the beginning. She would start heading out awards to some of the websites. I think you already mentioned MuggleNet mm-hmm. is one of them. She was not so much some of the adult stuff, but she was very supportive of all the fan fiction. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's inspired by the fact that she inspired people to write as much as they did. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter, by the way, the most searched for fan fiction subject. Wow. Also, I believe the largest body of works on fanfiction.net. 733,000 stories. That is a lot of stories. What is a the, lot of stories. What is the largest pairing? Ooh, I don't have that information. Okay. I'm assuming it's like Harry... You know what? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know enough about Harry Potter. You're probably right so guess. far. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no telling. Mm-hmm. It's probably some slash. I have no idea. You know what? We'll figure that out later. But she was not like uh, like the sort of isolated genius sort of thing. Like, like bringing stuff down from the mountain. She was very much interacting with the fans from the beginning. Because I think she was excited that she made something that made people excited. Yeah, that's one of the things when I was looking into the idea of this this character, really, all these characters growing up alongside the people reading about them. That's one of the things that I kept coming across, that idea that there's just so much support for those fans, for those younger fans. And like in one article in particular by uh, Laura Miller on Slate called The New Powers That Be, Harry Potter, The Triumph of Fandom and the Future of Creativity. The point was made that the whole stigma around geeking out that had been around before, probably since Star Trek, maybe even going so far back as as to be a thing when people would get really excited about Sherlock Holmes in Mm -hmm. the 19th century. But because these young fans were really into Harry Potter... A lot of people around them were into Harry Potter, like older kids, adults. It wasn't a big deal for them to geek out over Harry Potter because everybody enjoyed it. And so because of that, all these kids grew up with geeking out not being something to to hide. And that helped to bring the fandom out sort of into the public eye a little bit more, which makes it a lot easier to grow up alongside. It's people reading voraciously. Uh, without yeah. without hesitation. Yeah. He's got to yeah. talk about it with everybody else the next day. <laughs> right? I, I, when when the new season of Daredevil comes out, you got to watch it on a night oh, so you don't get spoiled. 
As I was listening to, to Z talk about that article, I was like, that sounds so familiar. And then obviously it's the same article that I read. <laughs> the article that I have open in front of me now. <laughs> it's a very yeah. good article. Oh, no, yeah. it, it was oh, it was yeah. great. Um, that article also talked a lot about one of the things that didn't occur to me. I mean, it makes sense as we've been doing the show, but didn't occur to me naturally, which is Harry Potter was as it was being written, as the author is growing up, as the readers are growing up, also is growing up at a time of immense change technologically. People had computers, but more importantly, they had the internet. And I didn't think about how dramatic that change was. I know that it was, having grown up through it. But this quote from the article put it into context for me, and that was, the internet increased more than fivefold, from 19 million to 100 million, Anelli writes, the internet changed Harry Potter about as much as the internet was changing everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the internet absolutely exploded around then. Yeah. And this this was like the first like fresh fandoms to be uploaded to the new internet. Yeah. People just went not so that apparently, particularly on Live Journal. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, having sorry, just as a quick <laughs> yeah, sure, quick sure. aside. I'm going to, you know, get my jabs in there. Um, it's interesting the live journal was brought up because uh, we have, mutually, we have a friend who is very much into that scene, into the role-playing community, into live mm-hmm. journal. And I always think that it's, you know, that there are some fans that do that. But reading over this article and, you know, as the research continued, I realized how big a thing live journal actually is. I mean, I'm sure now Tumblr is also a very large thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it at the time. We all had dead journals, of course. Of course. Yeah. Those Which were I, trendy. As far, as far as I could tell, was identical to live journal. But it was called <laughs> dead journal. Because <laughs> it was cooler. Yeah. But yeah. Like, imagine something breaking in 2010 or something. This occurred to me when I was when I was seeing how important, like, the the those first websites were to Harry Potter fandom, mm-hmm. like MuggleNet or Leaky Cauldron. Um, imagine it like coming on the scene in 2010 or even like last year. There probably wouldn't be near as many websites. It would just be all on Twitter, Tumblr, maybe Facebook, whatever. It'd be more via social media mm-hmm. and less via just like big old websites where people gather. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that there's that opportunity for them to sort of have those community hubs instead of like meeting in in the uh, the town square, so to speak. That is yeah. social media. Yeah, there was no, there wasn't an a structure already built. Yeah, people just kind of found each other and made these sites. Yeah, there was uh, another article that kind of touched on that. Similarly, it was a boing boing article called "How Harry Potter Shaped a Generation." And in the article, the author wrote, unlike the series it influenced, Harry Potter is part of a rare subset of entertainment that defines a generation. It shares that honor with the likes of the Beatles in the 1960s, Star Wars in the late 1970s, and John Hughes films in the 1980s. Of course, this generational ubiquity is in many ways a nostalgic construct. Not every teen went crazy for the Beatles, nor did every movie fan embrace Hughes' style. Yet, from 1998 to 2007, it really did feel like every person my age was reading Harry Potter. It's worth noting that for all the panic over cynical millennials and our reliance on technology, we were also a generation that fell madly in love with a book series about love conquering hate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people probably got the ebook, <laughs> but but not not until more recently. Yeah. Well, not since. <laughs> That kind of technology was pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. <laughs> Originally, when we dove into the research of the discussion topics about growing up with the fandom and vice versa, I thought that I would find a lot more about the connection between readers and the book itself and about the changes that um, that happened, you know, growing up as a person and growing up as a writer and whatnot. And I did find that, and uh, I'll cover that when we talk about young adult uh, more, but Mm. I didn't find it. I didn't actually find a lot of that. I did find a lot about the importance of community and community building and Mm -hmm. the connectivity and amazing power of the internet. 
Yeah. But not so much connecting, not so much fandom and, and novel growing up at the same time, which this is probably the first time in a very long time that that's even been a possibility. Um, well, yeah, because it, like, it maps, like it maps a seven year school tenure. Yeah. Right. Each novel begins in more or less the same time of year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One year, one year after. Like each so, novel is supposed to be a year at Hogwarts kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think they quite uh, map that out in real time, but uh, I don't know. I think people dug it. Seven years starting at 11. That's like, that's a lot of growth there. Yeah. That's, pu- that's puberty. Yeah. Which probably makes it even more potent because then it's, it's that time where people are terribly confused and like full of all these raging emotions that they don't know what to do with. So having a book and seeing characters going through the same struggles in that book would make it so relatable. Well, it was actually like really smart on J.K. Rowling's part. I don't know if she mapped it, mapped it out that way from the beginning, though it's, it makes a lot of logical sense. It could have been like school year and then like the second book could have been that summer or something like that. Yeah. But like, you know, you start reading these books when you're 11 and then you're, you're 18. And if the books were still kind of where they were when you were 11, you wouldn't be interested anymore. <laughs> no, no. I also just meant that it's probably for the first time in a long time, as a reader, you can connect with the, with the author and the work, right? Like if you think of other mm-hmm. works of, I mean, maybe young adult wasn't a thing at the, no, sorry. I remember now from one of the articles I also read, which didn't seem relevant to the time, but now seems relevant to the discussion. So it will unfortunately not be in the show notes. He was talking about a lot of um, how young adult fiction worked beforehand, talking about things like Animorphs. Oh, yes. I remember Animorphs. Like how it was serial, like more episodic than serialized? Yeah, you'd have a large cast of characters and you'd kind of get these little arcs and you'd, mm-hmm. you know, go, you'd kind of rotate through the characters. Uh, but like there's not the same connection as there was in the the storytelling that happened in in Harry Potter, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, even uh, even in more adult novels, and like the Song of Ice and Fire, right? You can't really say you grew up with that because one book comes out in a really <laughs> long time. Start first book came out the same year the first book of Harry Potter came out. Wait, really? Oh. Yep, ninety seven. Oh, cool. And he's put out five. <laughs> That's because Martin's uh, got other other irons in the fire. Which, which, according to everyone, he shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> or should he have a life? <laughs> he's too busy running movie theaters and editing anthologies and writing uh, wild boo, wild aces boo, or wild cards. Sorry, uh, we got a bit off topic yeah. when we were, we were talking about Live Journal. From mm-hmm. that article, uh, the Slate article as well, uh, something that I didn't know about Live Journal, which is a, assuming I'm assuming where you meant to go, and then I just derailed you entirely. Mm-hmm. There's a quote that's uh, it, it was the mass migration to Live Journal by a significant portion of creatively inclined Potter fans in the mid 2000s that eventually led to the flourishing network. A flourishing of networks that would transcend Harry Potter itself and foster the fledgling writers who would become the next generation of young adult novelists. Yeah. Yeah, that was where you're going? Mm-hmm. That stood out to me quite a lot. Yeah. Because um, we, we've, we've been talking about talking about the rise of YA for a bit. <laughs> and I, it's something I think about uh, a fair amount. I'm, my job, I work at a used bookstore. And... And, you know, you see Hunger Games, you see Divergent, you see Twilight even, like like all those different titles. You're like, oh, that's that's the young adult boom now. That's where we're at. Um, and you're like, oh, that's Harry Potter. Harry Potter did that. But not many of them really are resemble Harry Potter. Like, there weren't a bunch of copycat Harry Potters. No. no. There was, uh, and this also is not in my notes because I didn't think it would come up, and I... Yeah. There's like a book called The Magician's Land or something like that. I don't know if either of you came across some. I was There's using... one called The Magicians. Oh, maybe that was mm-hmm. it. By Lev Grossman. That, that was it. 
Yeah. Which is supposed to be like a, like a more adult take, I think. Yeah, so I was skimming through an article on the Mary Sue about yeah. that and about how it was, yeah, maybe it was a more adult yeah. version, but it was also, you it, know, more of a wish fulfillment, Gary Stu, Mary Sue kind of yeah. situation. It was definitely a reaction to Harry Potter. Yes. But but not many of those young adult novels were. So then I'm like, wait, so what's the what's the connection? And then I found it here. I know, they created like a farm system for young adult novelists. People who are Potter fans are like, oh, I could do this. Oh, yeah. I can have the support of all these people in these live journal communities. Mm-hmm. And so they, and so, so the cream, you know, rises up. Yep. And then you get Hunger Games and you get uh, Divergent and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, even now, I mean, the remnants of that, uh, or the remnants, the, uh, that, that system of the cream rising to the top is still present, not even just in YA publishing, but in, uh, in Indian in self-publishing because i mean looking at uh looking at reviewers for my own stuff it sounds like the whole industry of the book blogger is all about promoting the smaller writers who you know don't have big representation the smaller writers who are just parts of communities like the live journal communities or or wherever writers meet so I actually want to pose a slightly different question. Sure. Beforehand, we were saying it's it's the rise of, of young adult, right? Yeah? Mm-hmm. What if I told you that I found something that actually maybe speaks uh, against that? That it's not actually, that young adult is not actually on the rise, that it's just a blip. What? Well, you better tell us all about it. Yeah. So in an admittedly dated example from a book of all things, which makes it even <laughs> older throw it away <laughs> i know right uh with a title that z might enjoy from the book the dumbest generation how the digital aids stupefies young americans and jeopardizes our future or don't trust anyone under 30 <laughs> see there you go that's that's kind of why do it's way to endear yourself dear yep yep audience yep so i there was this interesting quote that i read uh and it came came up in my my search results it sounds like a blockbuster salute to reading for once garnering the same nationwide buzz that a Star Wars film did, but the hoopla itself suggests something else. Kids read Harry Potter not because they like reading, but because other kids read it. Once most young readers finished Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, they didn't read a book with the same zeal until the next Potter volume appeared three years later. Harry Potter has reached astronomical revenues, but take it out of the mix and the juvenile book sales struggle. There was also a bunch of data that showed how much of an impact Harry Potter had, but it's not like super interesting reading. Hmm. Interesting. This was admittedly from 2009. This is almost a decade, half a decade, slightly yeah. more than half a decade ago. Seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I was about to ask when that thing came out, but you just you just told us um, because I found an article that was about how the uh, the Times was planning a children's bestseller list directly because of how well Harry Potter was doing because people were worried that it was uh, pushing things off of the adult bestsellers list. Oh, that's like when uh, the Academy Awards created Best Animated Film because Beauty and the Beast almost won Best Picture. (laughs) And we can't have an animated film winning Best Picture now, can we? I feel like there's a whole (laughs) podcast on the Academy. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this article is from 2000, so oh what? I mean, maybe that's because they were just immersed in Potter mania themselves, and they figured, that, well, we've got to got to change these lists. Is that carbon dated? <laughs> well, I found it online, so I mean, that doesn't tell us anything. I mean, that I, narrows, I just, that, na- that narrows it down to all things. Eh. <clears throat> it is the New York Times. I mean, they are, they are with the times, I suppose. Street it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> One other thing in that article that I found interesting was that the uh, the editor of the bestsellers list, Deborah Hoffman, at least at the time, pointed out that the lists, even even with this division, they weren't perfect because some adults read Harry Potter, 
and the categorization of adult or children's was based on the publisher's categorization, but ah. sales were also a factor. So, I mean, even with this extra list, it's kind of just like adding an extra an extra 15 slots for bestsellers, not necessarily labeling things as children's literature. It sounds like it gets quite murky quite quickly. It does, in some ways. That reminds me of an article that I read on. It was called "Read Whatever You Want." <laughs> and this, this, um, I was, I will mention it again when we talk about the um, fan of the week, because this this person is is a fan of Harry Potter, but also a person of literary merit. I forget their literary credentials. It's either they're either literary or academic, but in either case, relevant. And the the entire article is talking about young adult as a genre and in particular people's perspectives on Harry Potter and whether or not adults should like it or read it or whatever. And the conclusion obviously being like, look, you can read whatever you want. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> but there were some interesting tidbits in it, of course, such as um, uh, this little one, which is there's something missing in a lot of anti young adult for adults discourse that I can't help but zero in on as an observer and critic of fan culture. These books don't exist in a vacuum. The fan culture I was describing at the start of this piece exist across young adult, not to mention plenty of other genres. These writers are creating worlds readers want to inhabit rather than just visit, or even worse, view from on high. Perhaps young adult is more accessible. The language tends to be a little more straightforward. The protagonists often deal, apologies for painting this in broad strokes here, with big issues, love and death and fighting the bad guy, issues of identity in the most formative years of our lives, things people from many stages of life can connect with, a fair bit easier to get into for some of us, maybe, than books about introspective men approaching middle age and having crises about their relative mediocrity. Ah! <laughs> but like, it was just this fascinating article about, you know, what people think about young adult fiction and what it means to enjoy them as an adult and a little bit of growing up with that and a little bit of the publishing side of things. And it was just like, how to... to I think we did this last week. How is this a thing? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the scratches the itch of the back of my brain that thinks is genre fiction relegated to young adult or this new adult crap. I man, category is that what it is? It is like is it like a, a way to sneak genre fiction in there? Okay, so for those of us who are not in the know, remind me what genre fiction is. Okay. Sci-fi, fantasy, uh, you know, all that stuff. Horror to some extent. Oh, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to like like more realistic uh, stories. So where does like the Hunger Games fall into? Genre fiction, dystopia, sci-fi. Okay, dystopia, dystopias. Okay, got it. Okay, yep. Yeah, YA dystopias are super hot all the time. It seems. Yeah. Yeah, people love that. Like trying to nail down the appeal of this story. Which story? Like Harry Potter? Harry Potter. It is, uh, for example, on the, on, the, on the Wikipedia page about Harry Potter fandom, a four-quadrant story. Oh. Oh, I'm interested. Yep. There's a graph. It, it's not... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's not super exciting, but it's like men, women, over 25, under 25. Oh. All okay. of, the, well, all of those quadrants. something. Basically just saying everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, if we're talking about, like, why adults like Harry Potter and maybe avoiding the new adult, young adult, whatever, there's a different article that I read, which was, is Harry Potter classic children's literature, which I was hoping would have a definitive answer just so I'd have something, <laughs> but actually had a very divisive answer, which was, some people think this, which is, I guess, life. There were, they asked a bunch of these important people, and I think, Z, you mentioned Deborah Brothers. Is that the right person? Uh, Deborah Hoffman, actually. Hoffman. Okay, sorry, I thought there was some overlap, yeah. and there is not. Uh, they asked, you know, what is it that adult literary professionals like about these books? And I picked some of the ones that kind of tie better into our approach about fandom and less about our, um, less about the books themselves, but do touch a little nonetheless. So they were saying things like, it's humor blended with fantasy insight into the human condition, inventive world building. The plot grows in complexity as the series continues, particularly as Rowling draws in the backstories about Harry Potter's parents and their relationships with other professors. As Rowling grows as a writer, Harry grows as a character, and young adults mm -hmm. grow as readers. 
mm-hmm. the sense of nostalgia that ties us to the characters and the books. It is also a good representation of surly adolescence and <laughs> adults like it because of the emotional connections to the characters. For example, Harry trying to understand his parents without having known them at all, which is also a relatable experience for some people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which all seem like things that transcend some sort of arbitrary young adult genre classification, I suppose. It's just like people and feelings, which everyone, <laughs> everyone understands. Yeah. This discussion of young adult is just making me wonder what like adult novels are supposed to be. Are they supposed <laughs> to be just boring and John went and did his taxes? Yeah. Or are they like Dan Brown? Having a degree in English, I can tell you that yes. <laughs> it's John went and did his taxes and was also sad about it. <laughs> that is that is as, fiction. Well, that that is literature, my friend. As as he completed line forty seven of form thirty three a, he wondered about his mother, and what he had said to her the last time they met before her death, and so on and so forth. And that's it. Yeah. Doesn't meet her. Just <laughs> she doesn't show up as a crazy ghost <laughs> or anything. Just uh, well, I mean, if you wanted a, a really messy hard and fast kind of definition of what an adult book would be in my mind when i think of an adult book i think of things like thrillers which like in terms of in terms of the quality of the language are probably sort of on the same level as harry potter i don't think thrillers are written in a very like ornate complex kind of fashion it would ruin the pace yeah but i don't think of a thriller as a young adult novel i think of it as an adult novel I guess because the theme because oh, it's right. dealing entirely with the real world, even though it's a fantasy about the real world, because usually there are spies involved and in, in high stakes intrigue. Yeah. More complex themes perhaps. Possibly. Possibly. Well, lo- loyalty to governments and things like that. Yeah. Not something that, that kids would generally get on board with. Yeah. But really not that much different. No, it might really just not. be a thematic difference. It's like a flight of fancy, told well, without, without, like fancied up language. Yeah, it's not. It's not trying to act important. Characters probably aren't having any sex, or if nope. they do, it's ha- it's happening off page. <laughs> well, you can ask some fans about that, and they'll have wildly different. <laughs> Apparently, I mean... um, Jason Isaacs, who plays Lucius Malfoy, yeah. Draco's father, gets a kick out of the. Some the fan faction that he's read. Yeah. <laughs> boy, oh boy, which, which is which is fun to hear. <laughs> this whole this whole question of what is YA. Um, I read uh, apparently it was a somewhat famous piece at the time, Harry Potter and the Childish Adult from two thousand three. <laughs> With a by... very very subtle title. <laughs> <laughs> Written by the uh, the British novelist and poet A.S. Byatt. Okay. One of the, the Guardian's top 50 English writers since 1945. Wow. And what she had to say about the whole thing was that, you know, people regress, you know, in their tastes. They read things that are, you know, maybe not as complex or adult as their age suggests they should read. Uh, but she said, you know, if we do regress... We regress to a lost sense of significance that we mourn for. Interesting. And I mean, that could be part of why adults like Harry Potter, because it's this world, like many fantasy worlds, um, it's a world where things have significance, where the characters have destinies to fulfill, and they're chosen ones, and even though in the real world, sort of the muggle world, they are weird outsiders in this other, like, just scratch the surface and you find it hidden world there are these super important major players i'll take you one further what's what are like the best-selling movies of all time stiff dramas or friggin superhero movies (sighs) Mm. harry potter was the harbinger (laughs) (laughs) oh man actually that's kind of funny because also in that article she said that um some of the other reasons why adults might enjoy the harry potter books is because in the books, Harry Potter, she she argues, A.S. Byatt argues, that Harry Potter is not a hero, but a celebrity. 
and that celebrity has been substituted for heroism in the modern age. Like and within also, the within the world of the books? Well, not so much within the world of the books. I think uh I think her point is within the world itself. Like um a really easy go to example would be the Kardashians. They haven't done yes, anything okay. grand or recognizable per se. But, but they're still famous. huge celebrities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're still famous. Because in the books, Harry is a huge celebrity before he's even done anything. Yeah. And yeah. that affects his whole story. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was another thing she mentioned. Like, uh, just how in the adult world, um, the big bads might seem to be the media or bureaucracy. Later on in the Harry Potter books, who are the bad guys? Aside from Voldemort, the media and bureaucracy. Hmm. Nard imitates life. Yeah, in a way that all ages can enjoy, apparently. Mm. Oh yeah, we got we got all those different covers to attest to this. <laughs> the quote adult covers, right? The moody single object with uh, shadowy lighting kind of thing. Now, did they start that, or did uh, Twilight, the most recent Game of Thrones? Lots of examples. Yeah, yeah. As you're having our discussion. You kept getting mentioned uh, the different types of YA, and I was like, well, where did that come up? In the article, How Harry Potter Changed Publishing on io9, somebody had said, a lot of the most interesting, most challenging storytelling right now is happening in young adult novels, including genres that are far from Harry's wheelhouse, like dystopian and post-apocalyptic futures. The Potter books helped to prove that books aimed at middle grade and young adult readers could gain a sizable audience of all ages. And then it goes on to mention the same a bit about the New York Times adding a children's bestseller list. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Actually, in in the Twilight episode, G, you had mentioned that, in a way, Harry Potter had dug out all of these different channels, and then things like Twilight just ran right through them. I think that's exactly what we're seeing with all this YA stuff. The house that Harry Potter built. Yeah. Now being inhabited by several uh, franchises. Yes. Yes, actually looking at the at the fan art because I figured I'd take a little a little bit of a different tack for part of my research this time around. I went on DeviantArt and just typed in the hashtag Harry Potter, looked at what came up. And in a piece called Harry Potter Chibis into quotes by Shadow Season, um, there were, there was a lot of talk just between commenters in general about the Percy Jackson series. Oh, the, um... Yeah, yep. Lightning Thief. The whole sort of like Harry Potter crossed with Greek myth. Bone. Yeah. <laughs> that has a little more crossover with Harry Potter. Yeah. We haven't really mentioned the movies, but I feel like the movies are also one of the ways that the series really grew up with the fans. Because not only do you have J.K. Rowling as an author becoming a, a better writer with each book, and the fans getting older along with the characters in each book. But then you have the movies where they tried to retain the same group of actors as best they could so that they each actor would also grow up with the role, with the movie, with like the whole Harry Potter mythos. I mean, that's that, that's something else. You look at the actors in the first movie compared to the last movie. Yeah. There's also yeah, they... a bit of an element of um, like getting to relive... So assuming that you read the books when you were older, you get to relive them again when the movies come out. Yeah. Yeah. But if you grew up with them, then it's more of a an exercise in, I don't know, reflection, or you get to see the parallels between them growing up and you growing up, which is interesting because yeah. either way you look at it, you get to kind of relive the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of reinforces it. And now you can go to a Harry Potter theme park. Um, you can also yeah. go to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Yeah. At King's Cross in London. I did not go in, but there was still a line. <laughs> like, there's thankfully nowhere near the actual, or not nowhere near, yeah. but it, it's not like on the actual platform. Oh, thank you. Between the actual 9 and 10, because that would just be <laughs> havoc. Oh, man. Yeah, I read an article all about that, all about the the bustling sort of mini industry of tourism that is Harry Potter tourism in London. Oh yeah. And I think the, uh, the author of that article, Katie Roif 
put it pretty excellently when she said that the fans there knew she admitted, you know, most of them are adults. There were a few kids, but for the most part, they were adults, maybe 20 somethings, maybe 30 somethings, but adults. And, you know, she realized that they all knew that Harry Potter was not real, but it seemed like they also kind of knew that it wasn't unreal. And then she took that and she made a clever analogy. If you read a book 10 times, it's probably more real than a sandwich that you just eat without thinking. Mm. Oh, the idea of intention being intertwined in that? Yeah, yeah. Whether before the fact or after the fact, some of these things exist now. <laughs> yes. So they're real in a sense. That's true. It's true. Art imitates life. Life imitates <laughs> art. <laughs> I feel like there's a movie about that with Will Ferrell in it. <laughs> First thing that came to mind is Darker Than Black, but that's an anime series. That is not. That I is think different. it's. I think it's Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. Yeah. Also starring Emma Thompson. Oh, oh. Hey. Professor Professor Trelawney in the Harry Potter series. Oh man! Oh man! Well, guess that's all tied together in the neat little <laughs> bow then. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha cool fan of the week is a segment on the show where we talk about we we bring up something interesting that came up during our research whether it be an interesting forum post or fan letter or just something highlighting something unique or interesting about a particular fandom the first thing that i have uh, i was going to point out a funny thread that i found on cora and it, it, it's not that it was intended to be humorous, just that I thought that somebody would ask the question as humorous. Entitled, Children's and Young Adult Books. Why is it okay to be a Harry Potter fan, but not a Twilight fan? <laughs> but I figured that the answer would come across as a bit judgy, even if they were intended to take more of a critical perspective. If you do want to check it out, I'm going to include it in the show notes. It's Also worth... check out our previous episode on Twilight. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, we talk about the marginalization of Twilight fans. The yeah. other thing that I thought would be an interesting fan of the week was the person who wrote the article, read whatever the hell you want. <laughs> uh, and I will include that in the show notes. There's a third thing, but I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> Kanye fans, not a podcast we're doing. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> okay. Well, you're we'll, talking we'll talk. <laughs> You talking you too to me. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> Alright, well we got I got one here. From Tracy T. Proctor, uh who who is moderator on fictionally.org. Hey. An HP fanfic website. Thing. I don't really get into the children's aspect of it, but rather the teachers, the adult characters. I read someone once who said, if you didn't want us fantasizing about our characters, you need to stop having these handsome men portraying them. And that's the <laughs> truth. It's very hard not to look at Alan Rickman and Jason Isaacs and not get erotic thoughts. I have some fan fiction at Fictionally. You want to write stories about the characters that JK is not writing, about their love lives that you don't see in the book. So there's a little peek as to what's going on with fan fiction. Sexy, sexy dudes. <laughs> With Alan Rickman and Jason Isaacs, hard to disagree. Mm -hmm. I uh, found a brief comment thread on the, actually, the Harry Potter chippies in quotes that I mentioned earlier, that piece on DeviantArt by Shadow Season. Mm. And this thread goes as follows. Started off by a user named Joy Reed, who says... Very good. It's not often you find things like this. The fandom is dying. To which Flying Echo Cat replies, The fandom will never die. And then Joy Reed totally agrees and says, It shall never die. Wait a minute. All of this taking place between June 4th and August 22nd, 2016. And that short a span? Yeah. Interesting. Yes, a little encapsulation of uh, perhaps yeah. the fans themselves. Fandom is dying. Is that a perception or an assumption? I feel like it's probably a perception. It's like I, I don't know what uh, Joy Reid's habits are on DeviantArt. I don't know how much they're lurking around or checking out other artists and that kind of thing. But 
I would guess that they've probably got a, a finger on the pulse in some way. Could could mm. just be referring to the balkanization of fandoms, which was in the fan lore page for Harry Potter. Talking Ooh. about how fandoms divide themselves up. And, you know, I imagine one of the side effects of that is when you break yourself up, you get small. And then when you're small, maybe people move on. And then it looks like yeah. there isn't any. So there's no fans in your little pod. So there aren't any fans. That's maybe. true. Yeah. A fan of the week that I have is actually a note from the Potter at Forward. Ah, and cool. this is a note that someone found in a book, a Harry Potter book. It says, these books remind me each time I return to them, which is often, that true friendship and true love will fight any fight, stare down any beast, and travel any distance. When a friendship is true, the time to turn back will have passed ages ago. Harry, Ron, and Hermione prove that time and time again. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cute. Yeah. Last one I have here is from the Herald Scotland. Ooh. And it is a response from a diehard Harry Potter fan to J.K. Rowling um, about uh, comments she made regarding the Israeli-Palestine conflict. I'm not going to get into it here. Link it in the show notes. But it's a very long, well-thought-out um, analogy and letter from a diehard Palestinian Harry Potter fan about the context in which she sees the books, which is uh, which is really cool. Hmm. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, and I highly recommend reading it. I'm not going to read it here because it's way too long, but it is fascinating. Cool. Yeah. All right. It is time for the spotlight, the part of the show where we highlight something. It doesn't have to be related to the fandom that we talked about. It doesn't have to be related to anything at all. It's just our little plug for whatever seemed interesting. This week, however, it's actually related to the podcast. It's related to the fandom that we covered, as I'm going to reveal <gasps> the uh, organization in question. Oh, boy. I actually have two, two spotlights this week. The uh, other one came back from the shop. Uh, <laughs> Twice the brightness. Apparently there was like a bat on it or something. Anyway, we got that oh. fixed. <laughs> okay. Uh, Good. So the organization in question that uh, has done so many positive things for everybody is the Harry Potter Alliance. Ooh. So I dug a little into this organization. Uh, their vision is, well... Uh, I'll, I'll read off there's some information from their web page because it's kind of interesting. So it's been around since 2005. They've engaged millions of fans and they're hoping to change the world by making activism more accessible through Harry Potter fandom, I suppose. They believe in magic. Unironic enthusiasm is a renewable resource. Um, fantasy is not an escape, but an invitation to go deeper into our world. Uh, the, they believe in the power of community, both online and offline, and that what... Um, that the weapon that we have is love. Uh, they do all sorts of different things. Um, as previously mentioned, have participated in efforts to help out, provide relief for the Haiti, Haiti earthquake um, and many other things. It is an interesting organization. You can probably start your own chapter or join an existing chapter. You can definitely check them out and you should if you are a Harry Potter fan and you want to do good in the world. You can check them out at the hpalliance.org. No doubt they have tons of things going on and tons of ways for you to get involved. The other thing, because I thought that that was a really lazy answer to the spotlight, was... Hey, it's, it's a great one. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's usually how it works. At least it wasn't like a con that we're going to. <laughs> the other spotlight that I want to shine that uh, has come back from the shop, as previously mentioned, is GeekyCon. What is GeekyCon and why would I bring it up? Well, GeekyCon is a convention that actually spinned off of LeakyCon, a convention that was started by uh, Harry Potter fans. By uh, I think it was from the Leaky Cauldron. Let me just take a look at my notes. Yep. Yeah. It, was, it was. I came across this. Yep, okay. same. 
it is a convention that that uh, last year took place, I believe, in Orlando, Florida, which makes sense. It's not far from you know Universal Studios and mm-hmm. uh, Disney World and all that stuff. It is a really cool con where you can check out. You know what? I'm not going to say a whole bunch of geeky stuff because that's stupid. They have different <laughs> events going on. You can meet fellow fans, whether they be Game of Thrones fans, uh, Harry Potter fans, whatever. They have little individual meetups going on. They have like Wizard Rock. They have a geeky music festival. They have charity ball, karaoke. I guess all the stuff that you'd expect from a from a regular con, but it seems like it's very diverse. There's all sorts of different fans there, not limited to anybody in, in particular. It does seem like it has a Harry Potter bent, of course. Born from Harry Potter fandom. Yeah. As it is, so it will have a Harry Potter bent, but it sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the spotlights this week. We'll see if we can keep both of them operating. If not, uh, we might go back to one. Yeah. Uh, yep. That guy will stop stealing ours. <laughs> Some sort of vigilante just vandalizing all our spotlights, man. I don't believe in that stuff. Vigilanteism. Don't get anyone anywhere. Yeah, maybe it was no. a ghost. No. Do you believe in those? Uh, depends on the ghost. Okay. No. All I know is that Snape does not approve. Huh. He, he wouldn't, would he? No. But one thing Snape might approve of is Esperanto. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week on Phanthropological. In the meantime, please do leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or on Podbean. Wherever you're listening, if there's a way to review us, please do it be fantastic and as always thanks everybody for listening and you can find us online at phanthropological.com if the website's not your bag you can also check us out on various social media twitter instagram facebook and youtube all at the next cast and uh if you'd like to email us perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at the nickscast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. I suggest you do. And uh, until next time, remember, everyone's a fan. <laughs>